Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 159, Fake Quan. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, man? Oh, it's the third week in a row when it's Victory Monday. How can I be anything but happy? To the point where I'm kind of in song, but not in song while I'm speaking. I don't care. Three wins in a row. We killed the Giants, we killed the Packers, we killed the Bears. Dan Campbell's revenge tour is well underway, and we are on our way to being a legitimate football team. And Jameson Williams is back. I have not had a day this happy since I don't know when. This is the happiest I've felt in a long time. So, let, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good today. I mean, at one and six, I can imagine there were little little boys in the state of Michigan saying, writing their Christmas list and saying, you know, dear Santa. All I want for Christmas is a Lions win. And Christmas came early with three in a row. I can't I can't believe it. The last time we did it was in 2017. Was that right? We decided. Correct. Weeks 11 to 13, I believe. Absolutely unbelievable. When we are breaking down in this show, the Lions at Giants game. But let me get into the preamble to start off with. Discord channel, please don't forget to get involved in that really nice community of Lions fans, especially good over this last few weeks. Um, Had plenty of people join us in that time, and you should be one of them too. I'm going to pop a link now in the live chats for YouTube and and, um, Twitch, I should say. So do hop in from there if you can. If you're on the audio pod, you can also find it because the live chat is available if you go onto the stream. College Football Podcast and is coming this Wednesday. I'm filling in, so don't promise too much for me being in for Ryan, but what are we going to talk about? It is rivalry week in college football, the last week of the regular season when all the fiercest foes face one another. So, yeah, rivalry week, there's a lot of history behind it. Form goes out the window, it's brutal, it's wonderful, there's a lot to see, there's there's so much going on. We've got Tulane and Cincinnati fighting it out for the top of the AAC, we've got Michigan-Ohio State fighting it out for winner-takes-all, probably for the playoffs it looks like at this rate. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be great, it's the culmination of a, well... Seems to have gone very, very quick this season, does so. Right, the mustache is going. Um, yeah, seems to have been culmination of a very quick season, but uh, yeah, we're there. Rivalry week, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I say, Matt's filling in because Ryan is in uh, New York at the moment. So yeah, hopefully it should be good. Come join us. Um, not long to go before we start doing all the tape watching for prospects going forward. So gonna be fun. It's going to be fun. We are actually going back to back on Wednesday. That is so probably something like 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll be doing the college show and then maybe 3 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll be doing the preview show for the Bills game on Thanksgiving, which won't leave much time for you guys to go and listen to it. But frankly, this week is always tough in terms of trying to get content out because it's got to be planned for and you've got to have time to listen to it too. So please do try and Listen to us live on Wednesday if you can. It'd be a great way to do that. Uh, Anyway, 
for this show, please don't forget to like the video, sub to the podcast, rate, review, comment, all that good stuff. Much appreciated. And Lions Nation Unite as well. Herman Moore's project to get all the best content creators in Lions YouTube together in one place. Dosa Dion, Micro Mike, Arse, Lions on the Prowl. We're all there. LionsNationUnite.com. Go and download that. And we are a Twitch affiliate. If you have a Prime subscription with Amazon, you have a free Twitch Prime sub to use every month gives us a little bit of cash directly from amazon no money comes out of your pocket if you can pop that our way much appreciated let's get to a bit of news and there's actually a fair amount of news for the first time in a long time before we get into the game review first of all the unlucky trinity benson shall we say was placed on ir last week he came on for one game and he got hands to his face and neck area, his knee buckled, and he's probably done some sort of cruciate ligament, and, and he's probably done for the year. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm going to say it's just, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame he didn't really get a chance to come in and be able to uh, do much there. Now, obviously, there's people coming back, we're getting healthier position. You know, it, it's just a shame. You never like to see a player get injured regardless of what happens so uh hopefully he can get himself fit and healthy find himself a practice squad somewhere and uh rebuild his career but i don't think he's likely to be with us at this point no that kind of feels like the end of the road really uh also in terms of roster news safety juju hughes has been waived the wide receiver dj chuck was activated before this game uh and then as you mentioned jameson williams returns to practice today that's tuesday November 21st, he has had his window for activation started. So he now gets 21 days to be activated or he's shut down for the year. For me, I don't think he has any chance of facing the Bills. The guy hasn't practiced as a professional, but it does very much put it in range for games where the Lions will still technically be in the hunt and and we will have our guy. Oh, we're talking about Jameson now? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh man, I was I was so 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 psyched when I heard this today. I was just like, I said it last week. I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could get three in a row, and then afterwards Jameson gets announced? I would be very excitable indeed. And I'm not gonna lie, I danced around and squealed squealed like a little girl when I heard that he was gonna be activated. I was just I'm so excited to see him. I've not been this excited to see a Lions rookie in over a decade. Not Penne, not Aiden, none of these guys. A, you know, JMO's the one. When you have a guy who has game-changing speed on a team and he's just he's gonna be a highlight reel, hopefully, in time. Not gonna expect it all from him straight away, but you can't help but be excited. And now we're on a wave of momentum. Got a lot of young players who are out there learning how to win games. The team's looking confident. They're looking like they finally found their purpose there. And to get these guys back, you know, Romeo's back training, Jameson's back training. It's just like, feels like we've got a bit more of a level playing field with everyone else because, you know, IR and the cap situation has been just handicapping us so much over the entire Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes tenure that it's kind of feeling like, right, we've got an even shot now. And, and you know, we're showing we can beat teams when we do. Yeah. 100%. Um, we also have the news that Keegan-Michael Key has, is donating the amount that Jamal Williams was fined for his hip thrust t- touchdown celebration in week three to a charity of Jamal's choice. Um, a celebration that, you know, effectively is is done in um, Key's Key and Peel sketch, the 
the fake throw. I can't do more than two thrust type thing. So Williams also faked that same thrust last week against the Bears, I think. Unless I'm much mistaken, he kind of he motioned to do it and then he didn't do it. And and Keegan was a a big fan of that. Oh yeah, if he did it after every touchdown at this moment in time, he'd probably be losing money on his deal. So <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice that someone's going to step in and help with all that. So oh yeah, I love it. I just right at this moment in time, Jamal Williams is one of my favorite players in the NFL at this moment. He's just. Such a character, he's got such heart, he's got such want and determination to do well for this team. And to see him translate it into on-field product is just, oh, it's amazing. Leading Russia in terms of touchdowns in the NFL. I mean, who saw that coming? You know, I mean, it's kind of like that famous meme. It's like, oh, look at us. You know, who'd have thought this? You know, not me. That, that's Jamal Williams at this moment in time. So, oh, I'm just so delighted for him. It's nice that Charlie's going to get some uh, good money out of this. I saw actually that um, the Bills Mafia donated to a local charity as well. For thanks for hosting the game, for us hosting the game between them and the Browns at the weekend. You know what Bills Mafia is like? They're just crazy good when it comes to raising money for charities and stuff like that. So, been a, been a good week all around overall. Some uh, good charitable donations and all causes out there at the moment. Yeah, and speaking about the Bills, there were some people who were saying, oh, don't move the game, you know, you it, this is part of it and you can't do this, but did you see that stadium? You wouldn't have seen some of the smaller players on it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like, when they said it could be six feet, it did settle what, what seemed like about four to five feet, so... I just, I just, I just really kind of wanted to get a sledge, go up to the top of one of the stands, and see if I could get down onto the pitch and just sledge down. I would have been so cool that would have. I made a bit of money that doing sledging for the day. Just Wouldn't avoid the odd stray chair. That, just avoid the odd stray chair that may uh, like protrude out the snow while you're going down. Final bit of news we have is that Dan Campbell and the post-game presser confirmed that Jeff Akuda, who had to leave the game for an evaluation for a concussion, not being confirmed whether he has a concussion or not, he was hit by friendly fire in the game by Will Harris, sent for a concussion eval. Whether he's concussed or not, Dan Campbell does not believe he can make the protocol happen by Thursday, and it's likely, therefore, that he is out for the game, regardless of whether he's hurt or not. And he was tweeting during the game saying, I'm absolutely fine. Fair? Mm. Not fair? I get why they're doing it. I do get why those are the rules, but it does seem like when you have a Sunday to Thursday turnaround, there should be some sort of exception to this rule where you can go through some sort of accelerated process because if you're not this, this it's gone too far the other way you need to protect the players but this is too much but on the flip side such a short recovery time between games if they make a mistake and do it too quick and a player gets hurt on a three-day turnaround then that opens them up to a lot of scrutiny so i can kind of understand why we've cut we've had guys in concussion protocol already but they ain't been getting cleared till what is it friday saturday I think because they, they can't train all week. They're in the red contact jersey all week, aren't they? The no contact jersey yeah. through training all week. And I don't think they get cleared till Saturday. So, I mean, you know, due process would say they're going to miss Thursday because they miss Friday, Saturday, the other way. I can, I can see why, but at the same time, I'm kind of with you. You've got three full days 
surely you should be able to go and get someone checked thoroughly by an independent physician, a concussion specialist, but, you know, the NFL might want to work with or something and see, all right, hang on, is he actually all right? And we were just a bit too precocious or is there some sort of issue there? And even if the, like most of minute things has picked up, then rule him out. But if he's given full clearance and he gets through all the checks and everything, then there may be. I think there might be a nice middle ground here. But I can understand why you wouldn't do it on such a short turnaround because there's already yeah. talk about the turnaround and players who aren't concussed, just injuries in general. So I understand why. I understand why, but I kind of think rule them out for the game if they go for an eval. I, I mean, get like that it, seems like too much, but it protects you trying to get back into the game when you really shouldn't. And I I fully go for that. But I think if you then during that process actually pass an eval and you would have returned to the game under the old rules, that it should be an accelerated process for the next week to pass the protocol. Like you should still go through it, but it should only take two days versus if you would have failed an eval under the old rules, then it's a kind of Friday, Saturday decision. Concussion is such a weird thing. You know, symptoms are slow forming sometimes. They don't present themselves right away. It's it's very tough middle ground. And I mean, and the one has been that guy, and I'm not at any point suggesting this is the case, but if we were not on a three-game win streak now with the possibility of a, you know, playing window happening, not playing, that's basketball, um, wild card, would we be having this discussion if we say, lost three in a row and we were one and nine or whatever? We'd be like, you know, hang on, you know, let him take his time, bring him back when he's ready sort of thing. Uh, you've got to be careful about crossing that line of are you only doing this because you want your player available because there is something at stake because there is something at stake for the Detroit Lions now. Whether people want to admit it or not, at four and six in this conference, been second, the Bills at home, short week, they're away from home. They've not been home in a week. They've been battered by the Browns on Sunday. I know they still won, but physical encounter, been away from your home and your family around Christmas. It's very taxing. They're vulnerable right now. The quarterback is carrying an injury. And a win against them, suddenly the whole world of possibility opens up for you. And there's still a lot riding on your season. So you've got to be very careful to put the player's welfare ahead of team gain. Now, I'm not suggesting that's why any reason you're suggesting this, but that'll be what the NFL is thinking as well. Is this a case of, you know, there's something on the line, they're going to try and rush them back, so don't allow them to have a strict protocol in place where no one can breach it, whether you are a playoff team or you're a tanking for number one team, etc. if you get what I mean. I do. 100% understand. Makes total sense. i got nothing more to say on that, really. Let's move into the game review. Lions 31 Giants 18 and a bit of a destruction really and especially in terms of the late part of the first half and all the way through the second half elevations for the game I think there was only one and I think it was the wide receiver Stanley Berryhill it's his third activation which means he cannot be promoted from the practice squad anymore he has to be signed to the main roster in order to play in any further games in actors for this were the wide receiver josh reynolds offensive lineman matt nelson nickelback chase lucas and edge players charles harris and josh pascal and those last two along with reynolds would seem on the face of it to be big misses going into this game with pascal and how well he's done against the run 
Were you like me? Did you fear that that might see us struggle against the run with Saquon's threat and Jones's threat on that edge? Especially when we saw Julian Aquara get burned early in the game last week. No, not really, because Daniel... I know everyone says Daniel Jones is a rushing quarterback, but he doesn't have the escapability that Justin Fields does. He can run the ball, but he's not one of those who can turn on a dime and be gone and who's kind of elite when it comes to the run aspect of it. So, yeah, I'm... I, I, I didn't expect us to struggle as much. I, I knew we could stack the box against these guys because the odds of Jones running it and running it more effectively was uh, lesser. I know that their interior offensive line is bad and you know we did really well specifically against the Bears and getting through the interior and stopping that rush. We kind of had the mismatch there. And the great thing is we have the, the blitz-style linebackers to go in there and really you know mess things up for an opposition that's kind of where our strength is it's not in the coverage aspect it's in the blitz aspect of it so I always thought that if we could get good pressure on the interior and we could stay solid on the edge that we could keep that run game in check my hot take last week I don't know if I did it on here I definitely did it on LNU I think it was LNU or Mike's show he asked for a hot take and I said my hot take for that was we're going to kick their ass in the trenches and we're going to beat them comfortably. That was my hot take. And I was proven right on that. On the mm. offensive side of the line, I knew that we could kick their ass there. You know, their guys are specifically pass rush orientated for the most part. They're not great in the run game. They give up the most rush yards per carry in the league. So, you know, they're going to kick their ass. And on the D-line, it's just a case of doing what you did last week, drawing the penalties out. What was it, about eight, nine penalties in the game for New York in this one? We were able to to get the penalties. You know, we got some holding calls on there because we were aggressive. We went after them. It's exactly what I wanted in this game uh, from going against the run threat there. And you say when you take Barkley out of it, it's a bog-standard, bog-average team because they beat you by a time of possession, and they beat you by running the ball down your throat. Those two go hand in hand. You stop the run game, you stop the clock on them. You turn the clock on them, you stop their run game. And yeah. and, and we did came to fruition. I'm glad the team managed to execute on it. So just looking at the stats for this game, and then I'll go through a little bit of play-by-play. <coughs> Goff, extremely efficient, actually, and didn't have to throw the ball much. 17 of 26 for 165, no touchdowns or interceptions. Daniel Jones, on the other hand, 27 of 44 for 341, one touchdown and two interceptions. In the rush game, Lions utterly dominated. 37 carries for 160 yards and four touchdowns. Jamal Williams got three on his 17 carries for 64 yards, but we actually were led in rushing by Justin Jackson. Nine carries for 66 yards. Exceptional by him. The other rushing touchdown, DeAndre Swift, five for 20 and a tutty. That uh, He also had a long rush of 16 yards, so on the rest of his carries, he was four of four, which is not great. Again, Swift not getting much production on the ground. Uh, the ground for New York, this is the tail of the tape, really. Saquon Barkley, or as we have called him, fake one, 15 carries, 22 yards. I mistakenly called him that, but it's going to stick. Um, in the receiving game... Lions didn't have much because they only had 165 yards, but Amon Rasen Brown had seven car- uh, seven receptions on eight targets for 76 yards. And 
On the New York side of the field, before he went out with injury, Wondell Robinson had nine receptions on 13 targets for 100 yards. And Darius Slayton had an okay game with a few drops mixed in there. Five of 10 for 86. Let's do the play. Hmm? Mike says you can drop him for a bit if you want. All right. I'll send him a link. Sorry, carry on. Okay. Sorry, I need to send him the link. Give me a sec. Okie dokie. The game stats is we kick their ass. That's what the game stats are. Definitely. Yeah. I th- so I think just as a kind of high-level take on this game to start with, we didn't kick their ass early. We had one good drive, and otherwise they drove the ball quite well. And it wasn't until midway through the second quarter that we took a stranglehold on this game. It's quite easy to forget that they held the ball 6-3 to three ahead and driving for what looked like might be a two-possession lead. So it looks like we totally ran away with this game, and we did. But things turned once we got the Hutch interception, and that we never looked back after that. But, you know, before you then, it could have gone either way. But the, th- the thing is, you're in seven and two territory. You're in an, an opposition team stadium. You're in a team that loves to run the ball. And at the start of the game, traditionally, running sides always get a little bit of success. They always do pretty well. They can kill that clock a little bit. You know, it, it did feel like it went quite quick because, you know, I joined somewhere in the second. And I thought, bloody hell, this has gone fast. So you kind of you need time to work out an opposition. You need time to be able to get them in the game, uh, you know, to get in the game and establish the feel of it. But yeah, th- that's the one thing the defense has been doing recently that they never have. And it. it's the takeover aspect of it and that gives you extra possessions I mean like towards the end of the second half you know we we had the ball we could get points and then we were going to get the ball at the start of the second half it's good it's great for your clock management so you know was it you know I, I I really like I really like what I saw for the first time in a long time both sides of the ball worked in unison Hutch got the pick the offense converted it into a touchdown that's working in unison. That's putting your stamp of authority on the game. So, you know, that is what you need from this team now. You're seeing the young players individually do things. You're seeing them individually get some big plays. But now you're seeing the team and the unit as a whole working together. And yes, it took a bit of time to work the Giants out, but they are to be respected. They were a 7-2 and two outfit who won a lot of close games that you need the mentality. You've got to have a strong mentality to win those close four games. So this went cakewalk. We were never just going to blow them out instantly. And, you know, instead, we did well with the clock. We ground and pound them down. We broke them. And that's what Dan Campbell teams are about. Figuring a team out, breaking them, then putting the hurting on them. And that's what we did in this one, to the point where I felt no nerves whatsoever in that fourth quarter. And I'm like, I'm used to having a heartbeat that's, you know, it's sort of on par with, like, in Bon Jovi solo or something like that, just all over the place and going at 200 reps a minute. I mean, this, I was calm. I was laid back in my seat enjoying it. So there was a lot to love about this. It took, it was hard early, but we broke them. And that was a big part of it. We broke them. We've been joined by a very special guest, was known as Micro Mike, now goes by Mike Kimber. And you can find him on YouTube as Lions Talk by Chat Sports. And he also fronts the Lions Nation Unite coverage. Mike's in the house. How you doing, man? And you're on mute, Mike. And you're on mute. <laughs> I'm mute. There we go. I'm doing really good. 
Everybody else is dressed up, so I wanted to be cheery as well. Have some time a little bit before I got to get back to Thanksgiving uh, preparation for Thursday, but love the victory. Yay, Detroit Lions. Let's go, baby! What did you make of this game? We've kind of had our high-level takes, and I'm about to kind of go through the game and how it ebbed and flowed, but on a high-level sort of take, Ant was talking about both sides of the ball um, kind of coming together for the first time this year. What did you make of it? This was the most well-rounded game that the Detroit Lions have played in some time, and I'm not even just saying in Dan Campbell's tenure. It's been a long time since all three phases for the Detroit Lions came together for a victory. And we'll also go four phases here because we're going to also talk about the lack of penalties, the discipline that they brought in on the team, letting the other team shoot themselves in the foot. Special teams did good punts and kicks with uh, Badgley. Offense did good. They scored in the second half, ran the football, passed decent. Defense played well. Turnovers by Kirby Joseph, Aiden Hutchinson, this was a beat down in New York on the road against a seven win football team. You know, we envisioned the Detroit Lions to be a physical football team in the NFC North. Talked about it many times. We've been a finesse team for a decade, right? We've been a, f- a team that, yeah, we can cor- score up points, but it's like they're not physical. You know, that's a little bit different. We have been a physical football team. We're running the football on the Giants. They knew we're going to run it, and there's nothing a damn thing they could do about it. That's, you know, when you're starting to become a good team, we're going to run it down your throats. Nothing you can do except for take it. That's exactly what we did. We bent them over. No Vaseline got the job done. One thing actually that I wanted to kind of say before I go through the kind of play by play part of this is the massive difference in this game for me on offense, especially was the use of Jason Kabinda. Now, I know that the guy dropped two passes that could have been massive gains or could have gone for six, but the Lions ran 21 personnel, the most of any formation in this game. They ran 21 personnel 42% of the time with him making up the bulk of that second running back in the game. 11 personnel was only 38%, so it was close. But Kabinda was that guy, and it kind of felt like Whenever he was in the game, he was throwing out these massive blocks, creating holes for Jamal or Jackson. We also ran 31 personnel twice. But if you have a look at the EPA per play stats, every other formation is about zero. But you get to 21 personnel and we're at 0.38 EPA per play in 21 personnel. And that's Kabinda. Or I did see certain certain circumstances where he had Swift and Jackson in the game at the same time. But whatever they did, 21 personnel destroyed them. They couldn't handle it. We put Penny Sewell at wide receiver. I mean, (laughs) there was some... (laughs) I'm like, what the hell's that? Where's the rest of the offensive? Oh, wait, that's the receivers. What the... That could be inspired, that could have. Can you imagine that? Being like a DB lined up on Penny's. It'd be a great way to get a quick outside block out there. Well, it would be if he didn't hit him in the back. Oh, that we was used to have Matt Nelson ball. that would take that role as a blocker as well, the extra offensive lineman. And so, but now we got Jason Cabinda, who Dan Campbell loves. And yeah, that's that physical football. Yeah, of course he dropped those two passes. We all seen it. 
But at the same time, that's not his main job is to catch the football, okay? That's not his main job to run the football. It's to block for Jamal Williams. It's to block for Justin Jackson to give that extra space for the running lane. And just like in the comment section, you got to give credit to the offensive line. The whole offensive line, even Dan Skipper did a phenomenal job being more physical. I tell you what, Kayvon Thibodeau, people said, there maybe we should took Kayvon Thibodeau instead of Aiden Hutchinson. Look like that to me. <laughs> I don't think they let him out to play, did they? I think I think he was kept in the house all day. I don't felt like that. I don't actually remember his name being called on the broadcast at all. I don't remember it. Like I, I'm sure he did fine against the run. I don't know. I just don't remember his name being recorded for a tackle, or that I don't think there was any pressure by him whatsoever. If there was any pressure by the Giants, it was coming up the middle, and there wasn't much of that either. There was that glorious tweet someone put out where they gave Aiden Hutchinson's entire stat line, like Aiden Hutchinson stats, and then underneath it had Kayvon Thibodeau's stats, and it just read Penesul's bitch. That was like <laughs> one of the best best tweets of the day. That was. Oh man. Right, let me take you through the game very briefly. First drive for the Giants set the tone. Uh, we had um, Kaminsky with a tackle for a loss on the first play, and then Aleem got him for a sack, and they went three and out very, very quickly. And then Kabinda um, makes a massive block for Jamal Williams on the first play on offense. Drive stalls out, roughing the passer extends it. Another good sell job by Goff because he was it, it was a correct call, but he went down like a sack of shit. <laughs> he wasn't really touched. Um uh then what do we have? Cute quarterback sneak, which I haven't seen Goff do this season yet, but he converted a third and one. Nice play action pass to Kabinda, which he dropped. A couple of two back sets in there. That drop could have been six. Then Swift couldn't convert for the first and Badgley. His field goal was good. We didn't go for it on fourth down and two, which was a bad spot. It should have been fourth and one, but they recorded uh, Amara being a lot short and that made the decision easier for you guys. Just to stop here, setting the tone on defense and offense. Yes, we didn't get the touchdown, but three and out, get points on the board. And in terms of fourth down decisions, I'm looking at that thinking Campbell might go. But for the last few weeks... He's changed his mind about these sort of things, and he's gone more conservative. I don't think he's gone all the way conservative at all. I think he's still a very aggressive head coach. But he's taken out that sort of really bad decision from his game so far. He's still got... We all still feel like he's got a bad decision in him. But so far, he has shown that he can change, I think. Rightfully so. He needs to change on on doing those consistent fourth downs. And in the last two games, he's been very good and conservative on that. I'm happy he did not go for it on that fourth and two. You got to be able to first trust your special teams and trust your defense. They are a part of your team as well. You got a really good punter in Jack Fox who is able to pin a team back. And if you look at the Giants in this circumstance, he understands that this is not some juggernaut offense. This is not some offense that's easily can score down. They're struggling if they can't run the football. And what was the Lions doing? You had Lee McNeil able to stuff that bad boy, forcing uh, their quarterback to do something he's not used to doing and scoring points from behind. So he played the smart, the smart game is the way he should. You talked about that quarterback sneak. I absolutely loved that that play was the first one of this season. I did not expect it. And it was something, it, it played it at the right time. You know, I've been calling for a quarterback sneak a couple times this year. 
I tell you what, I had no idea they're doing that. And when it, when when you have a offense that is able to do a play that you have no idea they're going to do, that's when you know you're doing a good job. That and the jet sweep at the end of the game with with Khalif Raymond, two major great plays by Ben Johnson in this offense. I mean, he's learning, isn't he? He's like his players. He's kind of a rookie in this role. He's a rookie head coach, just like his players are rookies. We've seen the players make mistakes. We've seen the players have hard learning curves, but players are getting there. And so is Dan Campbell getting there. You know, he's he was uber aggressive last year because, let's face it, given the given the roster we had, given the position we we're in, he could be, you know, be aggressive, make teams really have to fight hard against you, etc. You can kind of get away with it last year. And sometimes that can seep into bad habits. You know, you've had one year, you've been aggressive all the time, you take that over with you, but, you know, you've got to react to the situation that you're in and you've got to, you know, move accordingly with your philosophy. And, you know, you saw this year, he started out aggressive. Then it's like, well, hang on, you're in year two now. There is a little bit of expectation around, not much, but, you know, you're getting more experienced players, you're getting more bad cap off the books, you know, you're getting in a more stable situation. You need to start winning some games now. And some of these close calls are costing us. And you can see him adjusting to that. You know, he's taking field goal points sensibly when he needs to, when sometimes before he would, and he's been aggressive when he needs to. Um, you know, the play calling's changing up on it, you know, in, in these short distance situations, we're not running the ball, we're we're throwing it well, we're coming up with good schemes for it. You're seeing the evolution of the coaching staff as well as the players side by side. And that's what it is. They are all learning as one group together. And you kind of feel in this last three game stretch that you have seen the coaching staff evolve just as much as you've seen the players evolve and stand up and take it. And they're doing it together. And, and that's what we need them to do. We need them to be in lockstep with one another. And this team is becoming much more dangerous for it. Like I said, a young team with confidence is so much more dangerous than a young team that's just scrappy and tries and stays in games. And, you know, a coaching staff is a lot more dangerous when it's experienced and knows what it's doing rather than just sort of having one way of doing things all the time. So we're seeing a culmination of this in the team at the minute. There's no fear, but at the same time, there's still a lot of sense in there. They're not just going all out uber aggressive, no fear type. It's, con you know, it's controlled, aggressive, but I it's the right way to do it. I do think there's an element of knowing your opponent with this. So I think that they looked at the opponents they had. They saw the Packers, the Bears, and the Giants. And they thought, we can hang with these teams. We don't need to nick a possession to be able to say that we've got a shot of winning this game. Not that they were favorites, but just they didn't think they had to nick a possession. So they didn't have to get uber aggressive. If I don't see a fake punt, on Thursday, I'm going to be surprised because I think that Dan Campbell's going to look at the Bills and think, yep. I'm going to need to nick one or two. So I think <laughs> that the smarter plays are actually partially just them adjusting to their opponent. We'll see what happens on Thursday in that regard. Uh, I concur with that 100%. And, I, you know, when you look at the opponents like, oh, this team you can beat, beat. But then you look towards a Bills team that is very good offensively. Per statistics, they're top five in nearly every category. Defense, they're really good. And you may have to be aggressive, uber aggressive on fourth downs. I am not going to knock Dan Campbell if he goes for it a couple times on fourth downs or do a fake punt because this is not a team like the Giants. It's not a team like the, the Bears or the Packers. This team is a good team all around. They're talented. They got playmakers. They got Von Miller. They got Josh Allen. They got Diggs. The Lions are going to have to they're going to have to score some points and field goals are not going to cut it. And, and this is kind of the opposite. They're one of the few 
teams, because usually the way to beat in most teams, you stop the run game and you put the pass game under a lot of pressure and they buckle under it. With the Bills, they've not had a running game in forever. Their running game is really piss poor and it has been for years. You can stop the run, but Josh Allen will still burn the hell out of you from third and long, from fourth and long, you know, etc. This is one way you have to go after the pass game first. And it's a, very, it's a rarity that you have to do that. So I agree, they are a completely different team here. It's not the same formula as what you used to beat the Giants. You've got to kind of trust your guys to be a bit more one-on-one while you send the house to try and get the guy who does the damage on you. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play. But if the coaches, you know, if, if they are even in the coaching battle with McDermott and that lot, that gives us a hell of a lot better chance in this game of getting wiped out. So mm. hopefully they're learning. More on the Bills game on Wednesday's preview show. Just on their run game, they had almost as many running yards yesterday as they did passing yards. They completely have changed their offense with Allen's injury. But we'll we'll dive more into that on Wednesday to go back to how this game developed. So 3-0 to the Lions at this point and a massive tackle for a loss for McNeil. So he's now at this point got a sack and a tackle for a loss. Split some guys on a double team, got to the running back but they still managed to get to fourth and one from the 49. Jet yeah. to Breeder is almost blown up by Rodrigo. Rodrigo reads it to a T, but just can't quite reach Breeder, who jet sweeps for a first down. Then Breeder goes straight back to him for a really nice pass play. They're getting down towards the red zone. And then a quarterback sweep for a touchdown. Design quarterback run. Lions just didn't read it. I mean, the Jones just kind of waltzes in pretty much untouched. It was a bit disappointing that we didn't actually have a bit more coming at him for that because he got three guys out in front of him and we had we had no chance. PAT was then missed, though. Gust of wind and a finger from, I think it was John Kaminsky. Not 100% who it was in that line, but someone got a slight finger to it and the PAT was missed. That made it 6-3 to three in favour of the Giants. On the next drive... And I know Ant is probably going to have a little bit of a rant about this, but there we go. Massive tackle for a loss for the Giants because we ran the world's worst and most predictable wide receiver screen. And I know that you hate that play very, very much. Um, but an amazing conversion after that on third and 12 to Khalif Raymond. Pressure in his face, got the ball out to Khalif Raymond, too far out in front of him. Khalif had to make a diving catch and then from the floor, not touch, manages to get up and make his ground, getting 15, needing 12. Um, but then, unfortunately, Goff ran for 20 on third and nine, but called back for holding, can't convert then on the new third down. Then Jonah Jackson gets a personal foul, losing 15, and the Lions, from being almost near midfield, are punting from their own red zone. <laughs> Fox then has a fantastic punt of like 65 yards to flip the field, but the Lions really shoot themselves in the foot, needing a big drive at this point, because now... Giants have the ball and they're ahead. This is exactly where they want to live. And boys, at this point, I was kind of thinking, one drive from the Giants here, two score games, Saquon bundles over in an 85-yard drive. And we're in real trouble here. And I've seen this script before. You know, the wide receiver screen putting us behind the sticks, couple of bad penalties. I think it was Sewell on a holding call. And then Jonah Jackson on a personal foul. After the play was done, he just pushes someone over. And it's like... What are you doing, boys? <laughs> Sorry, Anyone? Sorry, <laughs> um, no, like I say, the uh, the white the screens and the static handoff to a static running back; those plays can both die. 
like I said, I'll get a neuralizer from Men in Black. I will use it on Ben Johnson, and I will erase those plays from his offensive play calling book because they are offensive to me and to most teams. They're really bad. You know, sometimes we get screens right, but a lot of the times it feels like we've not got enough men out there blocking, and it just puts us behind the sticks, and you can't afford to do that. But it's a minor one. It's a minor one. Like I say, the Lions were feeling their way into this game, but I never thought this looked easy for New York. Yes, they were driving on us, but I felt like it was with difficulty. I felt like they weren't in their usual fluent rhythm that they've had before. Say, Quan wasn't doing nothing. Jones got a few on us, and you know, etc. But it's not like I've seen in the past. When teams have run on us in the last three, four years, they get six, seven, eight yards of carry, chunk plays, play action kills us, etc. I didn't see that in this one. And, you know, so I'm kind of like, yeah, this doesn't feel this doesn't feel the same. Felt different. Feels like the Lions have tightened it up a little bit, you know, in regards to you know stopping the guys, stopping them getting yards off the contact. That's a big problem. Guys falling forward, getting the extra three or four yards. They weren't in this one, so they were running a little bit, but it didn't feel the same for me. I I wasn't worried. I was watching it and I was very comfortable. I had the feeling that the Lions' defense, you know, look look or offense, sorry, they always have one drive that. Like everything that happens wrong just occurs. Penalty, bad play, punt. We've seen it multiple times. That was one of those cases. The screen play from the wide receiver has got to go. I 100% agree with you. That and the Jared Goff spin Rooney, those are the two things that drive me nuts. But none, not part of this game. I was worried at all. I, I was like, you know, the defense has got this. I'm not worried about Daniel Jones, and we're stopping the run. My biggest fear in this game the whole time was Saquon Barkley, but seeing what Aleem McNeil was doing to this offensive line, I'll sit back, say, okay, you know, big deal. Offense is not going to get it every single time. That was my thought in my head. We got this one fairly easy. So the Giants take over six to three up. And in this drive, Akuda gets hit by friendly fire. Will Harris goes into him. He's done for the day because a referee calls him for a head assessment. God knows how he's going to be. We don't think he's concussed. We think he's absolutely fine, but he can't clear protocol by Thursday so he's out for Thanksgiving which sucks but we may do in this game we had a three almost three quarters of play without CB1 and it was fine OPI called on a pick play for the Giants which was stupid you heard it on the broadcast but the guy picked the wrong person like (laughs) it wasn't the person who was impacting the play so it was just absolutely crazy uh jones then makes a really nice zone read keeper to convert third down drive stools around midfield and they punt uh lions then run a jet sweep to swift right out in front of him on third down and i don't know if you saw jeremy reisman put a nice tweet out on this but swift just needs to put the hammer down he's got Saul out in front of him, he's got right out in front of him, and all he needs to do is go straight for that line to game, but he instead tries to run straight behind Brock Wright, and he's got no chance, and at this point, it's Swift trying to avoid contact, he's scared, he's running scared, and we need to stop giving him opportunities to have situations where maybe running between the tackles or putting the hammer down is going to be something he's going to do. We've got a perfectly good running back for that. We've got two. So... Let's just stop seeing Swift do this. He lined up several times in the slot as a wide receiver for this game. I think he's perfectly suited to that role. He's very good at running routes. He's got good hands. Let's let him do that. There's absolutely no need for us to let him do this because he keeps doing it time after time. Next Giants possession, 
is going to be fun. So we'll talk about that in a second. Nice play by CJ Moore on special teams with the tackle on the punt as a result of Swift not getting there. But Swift, boys, I know, Ant, that you are especially strong on this. So I'll go to Mike initially. Oh, Mike's you... the same as me. Yeah, well, you don't hear anything different here. <laughs> the, the, I don't know what's personally going on in Swift's head, the lack of confidence, but it, I feel like he's lost confidence. He's not fully invested in what's going on. Everyone keeps saying injuries, but we're talking now three weeks of nothing taking place, and it you clearly are not seeing anything wrong with his late when he's running the football. When he does run, he's missing the hole. We've seen we've seen that on hard knocks where he was getting at the, the coach was getting after it. He was doing that on the field again, and he's getting tackled by the first player. He I don't know if he's thinking too much. He's but he's lost confidence. He's got problems here, and he's been. He's not cute. He's not RB one right now. I'm sorry, Jamal Williams is now RB one. It looks like Justin Jackson potentially is RB two. He's lost confidence, and I'm not sure that the coaching staff believes believes in him fully right now. I think for me, outside of the quarterback, no position is affected more by confidence issues than running back. Specifically, because every single play, you're going to take contact. You're going to get hit. Unless, you know, you get the odd one where you're untouched, which is a big rarity. You know, if you're a wide receiver out of form, all it takes is one catch, one clutch catch, and you suddenly see the resurgence. But even in DeAndre's case, even when he gets a touchdown, even when, you know, that comes there, it can't overcome the fear of contact. Can't overcome that mentality loss. And if you've got a running back who's got no confidence, he's basically busted. And at this point, I think he's basically busted. I know he got a touchdown. I know he's had a little bit recently. But, you know, Jamal Williams has put his heart on the line for this team. He has given everything to it. And he's reaping the rewards from it. So why is DeAndre not? People keep trying to defend him, saying he's injured and that. But the story he's giving out is Juice Staley ain't giving him no carries. Well, why is he asking for more carries if he's injured? If he's not ready to go in this team, it doesn't match. The effort he's giving out there does not match the story he's telling us about, you know, oh, I'm fit and healthy, I'm ready to go. So injury is not an issue to him. So why he's running scared, I don't know. But all I know is this team looks better when Jamal Williams is in and when Jackson is in as well. And at this point, I'd send him... Oh, no, you can't send him to the practice squad, but I would just call Jamar up and sit his ass on the pine and not even put him in this team I want guys who are 100% invested in this team going forward, and you can see that he's not. And there are lots of guys in this team who are. And I, I hate saying it, because Swift, on his day, when he's confident, when he's running strong, when he's playing well, is the most dynamic offensive weapon we have on this team. And you want that, but you can't dispute the evidence you've seen over the last month, which is he just don't want the smoke right now. If you don't want the smoke, you ain't playing in this team. The Lions preach meritocracy. You are the best player on the team. You get the reps. He ain't getting the reps. That's all there is to it. Don't, no more needs to be said about Swift. Um, so the Lions do punt after that lack of third down conversion. And here we have the turning point in the game. So the Lions have gone uh, punting in their last two possessions, scored in the first one, but offense is kind of stalling out a little bit. And then Daniel Jones drops back, sees his man running from the center field out to the left-hand side, but he doesn't see Aiden Hutchinson dropping the coverage. Oh, no. And Hutchinson, like a salmon, just leaping out, clutching that ball like a, a, a tight end to 
you know, comes out of nowhere. He he he's got hands. Like for a guy who's never caught a ball, as far as we're led to believe by Hutch in his career up until the Green Bay game, for someone who apparently has never really done that, that was a snag. Like that was way above him. And, you know, those hands pretty sticky. And he returned it a fair way too, maybe 10 or 15 yards on the giant side of the field. Lions are in, I think, the red zone or just outside it after this interception. Let's just talk about that play because I've not seen, I know that Hutch is capable of it. And we talked about it with him as a prospect because he did it a little bit at Michigan, but not much. It's not going to be his bag. He's a great pass rusher, but he is athletic enough to do this. And he's a big guy trying to throw over that. And you're never going to expect him to drop. Fantastic play calling by Aaron Glenn. There's very few times a season, especially early, where we've had an opportunity to praise players and coaches. But Aaron Glenn, that's one heck of a play. So what, for me, with Aiden, what the best defensive line players do, if they're not in a position to make a run at the quarterback, the first thing they do instinctively is get into the throwing lane. It was one of the big things I said about Aleem when I did the tape breakdown on him years ago when it, when we drafted him as his nose tackle. There was you could see him in the run game, you know, in the you know in the pass rush game trying to get to a guy. If he couldn't, the first thing he did was always look where's the quarterback's eyes, where's he throwing, gets in the lane, puts his hands up. You can see this happening with Aiden now. I think it's a case of you know he's very exuberant, very you know the motor's heavy, always trying to get to the quarterback. There's a lot of expectation on him when he comes into this team. It's pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Get to the quarterback, get the sacks. Now it's kind of right. Let's think sensibly about this. I can't get to him. Where are the throwing lanes? Sometimes I'm a drop back. See if I can get in the quarterback's way, get these, and and that will be a good progression of this game to know when he can get to the quarterback and when he can't, and when he can help in other facets of the game. And I think that's what you're seeing with him here. He got the first pick and he's like, whoa, I can get picks now. I can help out the team this way. So I'm hmm. going to drop back. I'm going to get in those throwing lanes. Maybe I can make a turnover. And it was a damn good snag, I must say. If that that thing was fizzed and to grab that out of the air was ooh, perfect. Mike, I know that you're short on time. So thoughts on that and maybe anything else before you shoot? I, I could probably give you 15 more minutes. Oh, so cool. Okay, sweet. A, All right. Get on with Herm here. Um. I love talking about Aiden Hutchinson because everybody talks about his physical skill set. You know, his size, arm like you, you go to an NFL combine, the height. This guy is the prototypical guy. Maybe he needs to put on a little bit of weight, but something that we don't talk about regarding Aiden Hutchinson is his football IQ. If you watch that play, he steps back. He's reading the eyes of Daniel. He's reading him. Now, for someone that is a rookie, someone who plays a position generally is just attacking the quarterback instead of dropping back. That was a absolute great move by him by reading what the offense is doing and just staring down the eyes of uh, Daniel Jones. I I thought it was a, a marvelous play, and it just shows there's another reason why we drafted him at two, not just his physical gifts, but his his IQ that he brings to this defense. He is universal player. You can play them all part this defense, and what a great player. It reminded me of a younger J.J. Watt because he always got interceptions, and this is something that the Lions needed. You know, not just a player that can sack the quarterback, but turnovers wins games, folks. That's how you win games. You win turnover battle, generally you win a game. Great job. I mean, so for me, this is where the game totally turned. I told you that I was kind of fearing for this with the Giants up and kind of playing with a lead. 
But Hutchison returns it to the 18, and the Lions just smash it in. Good pass to Justin Jackson for a first down on the next play after that pick. Then a DPI on Kabinda, which was super soft because did not affect Kabinda whatsoever. But don't care. We'll take it. Got an extra play. Only three yards. But when you're that far away from the line, you're going to take everything you can. Kabinda then a huge block for the Jamal rushing TD. So I think... It was the weak eye formation, so Kabinda on the opposite side to the tight end, and then swings back in towards the strong side, and he just follows his blocks, puts a hammer down, Jamal buries over, 10-6 to six after the PAT is good, about four and a half left in the first half at this point now. <coughs> so the Lions lead by four, they've just thrown a pick, and they have to come back out on offense, and then when the Lions kick off, they muff the kick, rush to get the ball back, but there's an illegal block in the back as they scramble trying to get the ball back. So they start on offense way back towards their own line. That illegal block in the back wasn't just a 10-yard penalty. It was half the distance because they were that close to their own line. So the Giants, and this was a theme all the way through the game, they shot themselves in the foot at really inopportune moments. So at that time where you think, oh, a nice return, give Jones good field position, maybe try and make it a bit easier on him because he's just thrown a pick, and suddenly, oh, I don't know, maybe they can get a safety. (laughs) You know, like, you're trying to introduce that sort of thing, there's not much room for him to work, you're in the same sort of area that he was when he threw the pick in the first place. The Giants, and I don't think it was Daniel Jones' fault, but they shot themselves in the foot a few times here, and Jamal's touchdown and Kambinda matching up for that and Jackson's catch and what have you. It all just started to feel like it was going the Lions way at this point. Pressure. I said this on my stream last week. One of the things that could swing this game for us is pressure. The Lions have no pressure coming into this game whatsoever. They're on a two-game win streak. They're young. They're confident. You know, we're not looking at the, you know, wild card or anything like that at the minute. But, you know, we can go there, play freely, play with swag. And the Giants, you know, they're in a competitive conference. Philly lost. The possibility is there for them to go top of the conference. They've got a big matchup against, I think it's the Cowboys on Thanksgiving coming up. And then, you know, you're at home. You're against a team that is full of confidence. It's young. It's brutal. It's aggressive. You're getting kicked. You're getting knocked down. How do you respond to that pressure in front of your own fans with so much on the line for you? You see it time and time and time again. Teams can buckle under it. And I said on the stream, well, that's us on that specific play, or I tweeted out, Pressure, muff the kick, block in the back. Silly mistakes been made because it's a team under pressure that knows it's in a fight. And that was that was what our team did to them. We kept hitting them hard. We put them under pressure and they buckled because of it. And that's specifically what I loved about what the Lions did in this game. You know, smash them in the trenches. And if you do that, if you start winning the lines of scrimmage, you start putting the points on the board, you start applying the pressure to them, funny things happen to teams. And you can see with the Giants, silly mistakes they made because they were under pressure and they couldn't deal with it. You talked about trenches. It was setting the tone. And right off rip when you saw Lee McNeil just off the first drive, take down Saquon Barkley, I said, oh, here we go. This is a tone-setting game, and it was physical on both of the line of scrimmage in the trenches. It is all about the trenches, especially when you're going to get the team <laughs> like the New York Giants. It's all about running the football. They're a run-first team, and then they, they try to get you know Daniel Jones not to screw it up. And when you're able to dominate the line of scrimmage, it disrupts that, and you talk about pressure 100%. We got up on them early, and that put pressure because now, okay, 
the Lions are dictating what we are, what was taking place in this game. We are not dictating what we want, in which is to have a lead and run the football and kill the clock. We can't run the football because we're losing on the line of scrimmage. We can't get the pass going because I got guys coming at me. We have a problem here, and and the pressure is definitely it. The Lions completely playing freely, playing like they are a team that, hey, we got nothing to lose. We're just going to go after it. And we dictated, and we won that game because of it. So following the setting Jones back, he actually does scramble, and, and Deshaun Elliott reads that really nicely, keeps him to only one. Third down conversion. Jacobs gets there early, does affect the catch. DPI not called. Maybe get away with that a little bit. But the Giants have to punt again. And it's shanked by the Scottish Hammer out at R32 when they could have pinned us back really deep. Nice play action pass at this point to Amon Ross and Brown for a massive gain of 32. And it's a beautiful play. If you haven't seen Brian Baldinger breaking down Amon Ross and Brown in this game, that is one of those plays. It's an absolute beaut to watch. But I think it's Chark on the outside streaking down the field, opening up Amon Ra on a crosser. Beautiful play. I mean, Amon Ra has six yards of separation, something like that, in zone coverage. It's just absolute travesty by the Giants' defense, to be quite honest. Um, Jamal then makes a huge run, gets down... um, Oh, I can't remember where my note is not very good there. Never mind. Um, Sewell then lines up as that wide receiver, gets that block in the back call that we talked about earlier. Amon Rasson Brown, though, first and 20, gets 15 back, and that's when he gets tackled, but he puts his left hand down, manages to not put his knee or his forearm down, manages to get to the nine. Goff then converts for a first down when you've only got one yard of room to do that to Brock Wright. Um, missed a false start on Penny Saul. All the Giants players noticed it. Saul moves about a second before the play goes, and it's pretty obvious, but we got away with that one. And then Jamal buries over for another two-yard touchdown. His second of the day, that makes it 11 on the season at this point. Lions are 17-6 to up after the PAT, 52 seconds to go in the half, and that's it. The Hail Mary attempt at the end of this half is no good. Lions go in with an 11-point lead and look like they're cruising. Few breaks here and there with Jacobs, no DPI, Saul... No, uh, the full start not called, Mike. And maybe some throws of the dice are kind of going the Lions' way, but they capitalize when it counts. You know, these sorts of things only matter if you actually end up putting points on the board. And maybe the Giants can be aggrieved about that, but who the fuck cares? It always goes against the Lions. <laughs> it's, it's terrific. Yeah, it's terrific game management. You know, again, to find yourself in the situation that you're in, they, they bled the clock down to the end of that half. Really, and like you said, it's all right doing that. Then you've got to convert the points after. But we did. You've got the ball after half. It's smart from Campbell. You know, we've criticised the game management aspects of it at times. Not giving ourselves time to score points, not score points at the right times, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this one, it just felt like the game plan went almost perfectly for it. You get the score before the half. They ain't got no time to get back down and score again. You've got the ball again next half. You you, you put yourself in the best position possible to succeed. You win games. Shock horror. So I love the way that they executed it. Look, the sort of plays they were putting in there, the looks they were giving, the two back sets, the three back sets that were in there, you know, using Kabinda a hell of a lot. You know, it was, it's added some dynamicism back to this run game, having Kabinda there. It's an extra blocker, basically, but you can also use him as a receiver. You can use him as a running back. Opposition doesn't know what's coming with him. It's, 
can be fairly certain it's a run game, but they'll burn you sometimes. And they nearly did with Cabinda a few times. So I love the game management aspect at the end of this half. The false start on Panay Sewell, I called it live. I seen it. I said, oh, crap, false start. Oh, they didn't call it. <laughs> it's a great play. <laughs> uh, and I said, damn it, we never have this happen to us, so I'm taking it. Uh, yeah, the the uh, Giants fans are very salty about that play. But 100%, look, sometimes breaks. We're not used to it in Detroit that things actually fall our way. But the last couple of weeks, they have been. A couple throws by Jared Goff that could have been interceptions. Never happened. The false start that you're saying about absolutely. And, and getting up off the ground and for Amon Ross St. Brown to get the first down. If you go back a couple weeks ago where Panace or not Panace Sewell, but DeAndre Swift grabbed the ball on the ground and scored a touchdown. It's been happening this year. A little bit of luck on our side. And we need it when the Lions fans say it's our damn time to have this happen. Because we're always on the other side of it. <laughs> we are always on the other side of it. Okay, half time, 11 point game, and the Lions get the ball for the second half. Jackson bobbles the kick return on the kickoff, but somehow still gets out to the 44. And that's one of the big differences. Giants bobble it, they're starting inside their own 10. We're starting near midfield. But then Kabinda drops his second big one of the game, second, first offensive play of the second half. And Really nice play design, and he's just not hes not quite there yet, is he? He's only been active for two games. This was the second game, I think, and he, he's just not quite at it quite, uh, quite yet. Nice play by Goff under pressure, getting it to Kennedy on a crossing route to convert the third down. Kennedy, just another example of a guy that when you need him, he's there. Just deliver you another third down conversion, which is great. And Goff seemed to get these third down conversions all day, which was really, really nice. Uh, 11 yard run for Justin Jackson. Swift then got 15 on the ground for first and goal from the five. Play action pass to Amon Ra to the one. And Jamal, in true Jamal style, finishes it off from the one yard line. Nicking touchdowns left and right. 24 to 6 Detroit when the PAT is good. Giants drive. And this is just the story of their half from here on out. Nice drive to start, get to a round of field, can't convert on third or fourth down. So from the Lions 40, go for it on fourth and five. He overthrows and Kirby Joseph is there and he leaps out the air. What a play from him. I mean, some of that is right place, right time because he's standing right there and Jones airmails it a bit. But I know he's a former wide receiver, you still got to make that play, and we didn't see that from him earlier on in his Lions rookie year. Makes that catch, returns it really well, and then Goff, and this is why his PFF grade is shockingly bad. I think he was worst on the team on offense. He goes out there, and in his next three plays, throws two interceptable balls. Like, at a time where you're like, this game is over and done if you don't make a mistake. I don't understand what happened here, boys, but Goff just decided he was going to put the ball in harm's way. And then the Giants, uh, so the Lions decided they're going to pump from the Giants 38, which we were discussing on stream at the time. I don't know what you thought, Mike, about this. Punt covered at the seven worked out perfectly, but it kind of felt like we were, you know, declining an opportunity to put more points on the board. I think that Dan Campbell of old would have kicked that as opposed to gone for a punt. What do you reckon? First off, I'm going to take two hot takes, and then we're going to t- I'll, t- I'll talk about this first. Uh, I, I approved of the punt. I didn't want them to go for it. You're up 26 to 6 at, the, at that point. Was it or 24 to 6? 24 to 6, yeah. You know this. You have them where you want them. 
at this point, this you know this offense is going to have a hard time going down the field. Punt. I don't. I don't need to screw up and give these guys even a good field position. If they want to get it, I'm gonna make them earn it. We're up. They're not doing a whole lot. This is probably the first time this year for the Giants to be down this much. I liked it. I, that's what you got Jack Fox for. I don't care if it's like a net gain of 20 yards. It's 20 less yards that we have to deal with Daniel Jones going. I approved of it because we're at hot take here. DJ Chark, Tom Kennedy. I will take Tom Kennedy over DJ Chark at this point. I know it's a hot take, but right now, Chark has been doing doing absolutely nothing, and Tom Kennedy is making crucial first downs on third downs. That's all I can ask for from the young man is catch the football and make plays. Chark hasn't done a whole lot for me. And here's another hot take. You know, we talk about players that should be recognized for defensive rookies of the year. You know, obviously you got Greedy Williams. Everyone talks about Ada Hutchinson. You know, Kirby Josie's not going to get it, but he should be in the mention at this point. Interceptions fumble recoveries. He's making plays. This guy's getting the job done. He's getting better every week. Initially in his rookie season, he wasn't getting it done because he was a rookie, but each game you can see it get better and better. I like it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent with Mike on his first hot take. The punt was what I would have done as well. I said it on the stream. Don't help your opposition out. Don't give them good field position while their offense can't string together a drive for, for Toffee. You know, put the punt in, put them in situations where, you know, it's harder for them to run it out. I mean, there were several times we got them in their own 10 and could they and, and they couldn't run it out. There's not enough room down there. You bottleneck them. You force the QB to throw it and make dangerous throws. And we were forcing them to punt it away there. And you give yourself good field position as well. Yeah, you might give up three points on one drive, but your next drive might just start where you've just punted it from on a first down. So, you know, you have to trust your punter to do it. You've got the best punter in the league. So use him. We were screaming for this at the start of the season when we weren't using him. We were just fourth down, go for it, fourth down, go for it. This is all part of the game management side of it, which Dan Campbell's developing now. He's learning when to use his punter. And I immediately said, you, don't you dare take that field goal. Just punt it. They took the delay again to punt it. Right call. So I fully agree with that. Not on board with the second hot take just as much yet. Chuck has only just come back off IR from injury, so he's still getting back up to speed. I'll give him one or two more games, you know, see what he can do. You know, obviously Jameson's coming back, so his window is going to be small now in terms of how he's used on the team. But against the Bills, you know, we're going to need him because we're going to need our run game to flourish against the Bills and we're going to need to stretch the field so they ain't stacking the box against us. So we will need him for that. So hopefully he's got a pivotal part to play just yet. But um, yeah, Kennedy's playing well and he's kind of taking that preseason warrior form and bringing it into the season a bit. Is at the point now where you can justify him as having him as your last receiver on the depth chart because he can do something for you there. So, you know, it's a good story for him. I'm glad he's doing well. But uh, I thought the I thought the Lions game managed just perfectly. I didn't really disagree with any of the decisions regarding the field goals or the punts. Thought they got them all bang on. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, for me, I think that Chark and Kennedy actually make a really good connection for themselves. Chark stretches the field, prov- provides that room for Kennedy underneath. Like I think you kind of need a guy like Chark, even if he's not very productive, because of the threat he provides even if he's not catching the ball i do agree with mike he's not been productive enough and 10 million sucks for someone of what he's done but 
He can't one account year. for injury. One year. It doesn't affect him in the long run. It's it, it's a cheap, harmless deal. So yeah, it is. It is. I still I still believe in DJ Chark, but we'll see. I actually disagree that his time his window is short with Jameson. I think that Chark, Jameson, and Amon Ra is one of the best trios in the NFL if they're all fit together. Because can you imagine Chark having all that room if Jameson's on the field? Like. That sounds like a match made in heaven to me. But anyway, um, so Lions go uh, on us, hang on, missed a, missed a drive. McNeil got another tackle for a loss on Barkley, split another double team. Barkley just doing nothing at this point. Jones just misses the safety. Hutch with loads of pressure, but a good conversion. Drive stalls again, they punt. Lions go three and out in response. Then the Giants have a good drive, but at this point, the excellent receiver Robinson for the Giants gets injured. He's out for the game and in fact out for the season with an ACL injury which is really unfortunate. See Wondell Robinson I'm slightly unheralded maybe taken a bit high in the draft and I think it's fully justified what he's done so far so that's a real shame for him. Uh, Breeder ends up knocking in a touchdown. Nice zone read. Hand off. Uh, nice read. PAT doint by the Dotsman from the Giants. Uh, so 24 to 12 at this point. And at the moment, these missed points are adding up for them because they missed a PAT, a PAT, and later on they missed a two-point conversion. They are leaving plenty on the field, and it just added to the pressure that they were feeling all the way through the game. Next line's drive, Goff, lovely throw to Raymond, pressure in his face, got 21 yards on that. And then a third down row to, uh, throw to Amon Ra St. Brown. So Amon Ra crossing from left to right, two defenders, one in front of him, one behind him. He splits them. And Goff, with an absolutely lovely throw across his body. I mean, sometimes Goff can just astound you. And you kind of go, he is a quarterback. Like, he's a guy who actually does have a good throw in him every now and again. Because you've got to be good to make that throw. You you don't get no chump making that throw. Uh, Goff then launches it on third down to Chark in double coverage on the far sideline. And it's like, okay, not sure what you've done there. But that should have been picked off. And it was not. And then from the 34, again, the Lions could have hit the field goal from here. This would have been a 51-yard attempt. Would have been a bit closer than the last one. They decide to try and draw him offside, even on 4th and 10, take the delay of game and punt. But unfortunately, this one goes for a touchback. Um, I don't have anywhere to stop there, so I'm just going to continue. Uh, nice throw by Jones to convert for 3rd and 15. Jones passes to Hodgkins. And then another pass to Hodgkins. And a forced fumble by Will Harris, recovered by Hutch. And this means now there's a nice tweet from the Lions PR that just came out a moment ago. And I'll have a look at that. With this fumble recovery, Aiden Hutchinson is the first defensive lineman to produce five sack, at least five sacks, two interceptions and a forced fumble since Jared Allen in 2010. He's the only... Is the third rookie defensive lineman in NFL history to post those stats. The last one was Leslie O'Neill in 1986, which is it's amazing. This guy really is making history on this team. Uh, Lions next possession. Jackson handoff on a fake Jack sweep. Amazing run for 27 to one yard line. Swift then punches it in 31-12. At this point, it's basically ball game, boys. So lovely pay by Will Harris, who had... His best game as a Lion, and this is going yep. to be overlooked because of how well Aleem did, how well Hutch did, how well Amon Ra did. But quietly, Will Harris affected this game in several ways, as well as 
negatively with Akuda, I guess. And then Swift getting the touchdown, a really nice drive by the Lions. It just seemed like everything was going right at this point. Yeah, I'll move on. Uh, no talking points there. <laughs> there really no, isn't, is about... there? No, I would just say the, the points of the game, though, even when the Giants were scoring touchdowns, it, it just didn't feel, I didn't feel nothing. I felt no fear that they were going to come back. The one thing yeah. that the Lions did, they made them fight for the yardage. So the Giants killed clock on their drives. And when you're three scores down, you've got to score quickly. And the Lions stopped them from scoring quickly. I think it was that last touchdown that they got the only time they really drove methodically on us and quickly. Um, but they were still st- still two scores down after that went in. And it, that felt like the only time in the game where they were they were urgent and where the Lions defense let up. Apart from that, like I say, middle fight for every yard. And say you bleed that clock down, you just keep increasing the pressure on the team. And, you know, that's how you win games. That's what we've not seen from the Lions for a long, long time. You know, we that was like what we should have done against the Vikings. That, that is what we should have done against them, and we were not able to. But now the team is confident. It's won some games. It's figuring itself out. You've, you know, they're two really good parallels, these are, actually. You know, we, we've we've taken the lessons from that Minnesota game, and we've learned them in regards as to how to keep a team behind us, keep them off the field, put the pressure on, and make them beat themselves effectively. Mike, you know, that, I saw you nodding I... about the Will Harris point. I just want to bring to yeah. that, because... I feel like Will Harris today, like I did about Amani last year. I don't know if you're getting a similar feeling, like maybe just a guy who's actually not as talented, but performing. He performed well in this game and he was making tackles and he was doing what he was supposed to do. And that's what you want to see from Will Harris, who's definitely not been a good part of this team, but he played well. Matter of fact, the funniest thing is, is ever since Aubrey Pleasant has been gone, I think you're starting to see the defensive backs play a little bit better in Amani Awarie and in Will Harris. So that's something that you want to keep watching going forward. But you're talking about that last drive where the Giants, you know, they, they scored that touchdown drive. The Lions playing prevent. I didn't care. They were letting the clock yeah. bleed. They're letting them take all these shots in the middle of the field. That was the whole strategy. Kill the clock. I know a lot of fans were upset about it, at least in my chat. And I was letting them know, folks, this is what they're doing. They're just letting them kill the clock. Who cares? They scored a touchdown. Big deal. Now there's a couple minutes left in the game. The game, the game's essentially over. They have to do an onside kick, and the onside kick was terrible. So I love the game plan. I did not care about that drive at all. It was exactly what you you want to see. It just the whole point there is kill clock. But uh, I do got to get off. I got to prepare to um, get on with Herm here and make a video and talk about this game. I appreciate you guys allowing me on talking some Detroit Lions. Make sure everybody in the comment section, if you're watching right now or if you're watching after the fact, to subscribe to Roar of the Lions UK. They're at 638 subscribers. Let's get them to 650. That's 12 more. If you're not subscribed, you're nuts. This is one of the best podcasts, the best channel, informative channel on YouTube regarding our Detroit Lions. Just because we talk a little bit different, doesn't mean anything. So heart stars and marshmallows, clovers and blue moons. Let's get it, guys. <laughs> Cheers, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Lions, Mike uh, Lions talk with Chat Sports on YouTube. Go and subscribe to him as well. Can't do it without you, man. Appreciate you coming on, and we need to do this a lot more. Anytime, brother. Take care, See you Mike. soon. And 
the guys really recap the end of the game there really well. Those were the next couple of drives. Giants with that sort of prevent defense from the Lions do go and score. Two-point conversions, no good. Onside kick recovered by Amon Ra. And then the Lions on third down run a reverse to Khalif Raymond on third and long, which is good. And that's the ball game. 2.38 left on the clock. Bleed the time to the two-minute warning. Then kneel down after that. What a relief it is to see Jared Goff kneel down. I mean, I, I didn't believe he could do it, but there it is. Uh, Guy Utah okay. on Twitch, subscribing at Tier 1. Appreciate you, man. And he had a comment, which I want to get to, because he's a first-time chatter as well. He said, love your show, guys. And Will Harris is the Goff of this defense. He can be on it, but when he's off, he shits the bed. And I am totally with that take. That makes perfect sense to me. Sorry, Amp. No, no, it's fine. I, I, I kind of agree with that, to be fair. Um, but the only comment I would I would say, specifically on that last drive, I know it may seem menial, but the way we did that last drive, how we got the first downs we needed, how we were still getting yardage. I used the, the Minnesota game as a, an example um, not so long ago about how we couldn't close out the game. You go back and watch that Minnesota game, the last few drives where we have the chance to take time off the clock, to maybe get some more points, put that game's beyond reach. So many of the offensive linemen, the tight ends, the running backs were losing their one-on-ones with the blockers. And we were just going three and out. Run, 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 three and out, give the ball back, give Minnesota a chance to win the game. And I was very critical of that because we've invested heavily in our offensive line, our trenches, and I expect better of them in this game. Well, by Jove, we went out, we ran the ball, we got first downs. We were aggressive. We won our one-on-ones. We made the gaps for the guys. We gave ourselves room to run the ball. And lo and behold, we ran the game out. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it might not have mattered if we'd have given it back because there was a deficit to come from. But, you know, the Giants were still playing hard at this point. And you've got to look for the improvements where you see them. So the improvement on those last drives to kill the clock, get the first downs, were significant for me. And again, it's another indicator that this team is moving in the right direction. It's trench warfare. And we just won this one outright. It's not even close as to who won the trench battle in this one. From snap one till snap end, we won. So even when we, you know, we thought we'd won the game and we could have just sort of taken it easy, the guys still fighting, still winning the one-on-ones still getting us rush yardage. That is the attitude you want to see. And that's what winning does for you. It gives you the confidence. It gives you that extra 10% in the tank to go that extra bit longer for some extra snaps to keep giving it your all. They're all combined one-on-one and you're starting to see this team just start to unlock its potential now that it's learning how to win. So that's why I really loved about that last time. It seems insignificant, but for me, it's a big deal to be able to see us go out and do things like this. Game manage right. Close games out. That's like the next biggest step this team has to take. Now it has to do it in shorter yardage, you know, shorter point situations, but we did it against the Bears as well. We did it against the Packers, defended a short lead. You know, I'm seeing these improvements from the team and I really like what I'm seeing from them. To go into the talking points from the game, I have, firstly, it's penalties. And it's not just about the Giants being undisciplined and the Lions being disciplined because it's too simple a point. The Lions had five penalties to the Giants' eight. It wasn't a huge difference. What was the difference is that the Lions' penalties came at moments that didn't really move the needle massively, whereas the Giants seemed to get penalties at moments that really, really mattered to them, and bigger penalties as well. The Lions just 
have tightened up in this respect and they punish the Giants for not being that way. Yeah, agreed. You're right. Uh, the practice report is out for the Bills game, the the estimated report, so I will get to that after we finish talking about this game. Um, I talked already about the Hutch INT completely changing the game. At this point, when the Hutch interception came, the Lions did not have the ball, and they were behind on the score sheet, and people will forget that. That play totally changed the game. Big performance by everyone, all the way through the game. We scored in every quarter. There was no third quarter slump on offense, and we did not concede any points in the second or third quarter and i haven't seen anything like that for ages and i know the giants are regarded as a gritty team but they were seven and two coming into this game to shut a team out through effectively a half of football in the middle of the game exceptional play by the defense fantastic we we ran the ball well and killed clock didn't give them any possessions and when they did have possessions our defense absolutely stood up we did it when it mattered. We've seen them shut out teams for a half before. We've seen them have great halves individually, but it's when it matters in a game. And the, the big takeaway is it's playing complementary football. As Dan Campbell keeps saying, you know, you can shut a team out for two quarters and still lose a game, but the offense put up points as well. You get the interception, you score the touchdown off that. That's how you've really got to hurt teams. You know, New York will have been hurting after Dan, Daniel Jones throws that pick. We get the ball in the end zone. We put seven down. That's like kicking a guy when he's down. And, you know, we've, there's too many times when we've had the guy down on the floor. And we've kind of extended the arm and pulled them back up again. Well, that's not what Dan Campbell's about. Dan Campbell's about biting the kneecap, getting them on the ground, kicking them while they're down there and keeping them there. That's what we did here. And by the time that the defense did start to give up a little, the offense had given us the cushion that it didn't really matter. And that's what this team has needed, is to play complementary football together. And we have finally seen that. You know, this team's evolving more week in, week out. And the confidence, like I say, is just unlocking every facet of it. it. And everyone's playing in lockstep. Everyone together. Everybody's contributing. And just to kind of show you people how much we dominated in this game, the trenches absolutely show it. There's a Lions offensive lineman who was a relief player, I think, and he's called Shane Lemio. Left guard. He has a offensive no, grade of 29. He's a starter who's come back from a long-term injury. There we go. Thank you very much. 29.4 PFF grade had a pass blocking grade of 0.0. One sack given up, one hit given up, three hurries given up, five pressures in his 24 pass blocking snaps i don't think i've seen a naught pass blocking grade in some time but he was benched in this game as for oh yeah logan that's fair um but other people also had really bad blocking games in this players with a sub 60 grade included both the left guards that played in this game for the Giants in Izudu and Lemio and John Feliciano, who I think was also benched at some point in this game. They were all sub-60, and that all came from Aline. He was absolutely fantastic in this game. He, so he ended with three tackles for a loss and a sack. It's like fantastic. There's 10 pressures in the game. Which is the leading number all time in the PFF era by someone of more than 320 pounds. See, see, this is kind of what annoys me when it comes to Aleem. Everyone's praising him after this game. 
but they're making it out like it's the first good game he's had for the Lions, and it's it's just simply not. When I did his tape breakdown, when we got him after the draft, I said, nose tackle is a very thankless position. You're the guy who does all the dirty grunt work, which means others can have success in this team. So when you're evaluating a nose tackle, you can't look at the stats line. You've actually got to look at the plays. They are subject to double teams, triple teams. They're up against the biggest and baddest guys on an opposing offensive line. A center's always got someone to help him, a guard, a tackle, whatever. You know, Aleem has been in a very tough situation there. He was placed with a pair of turnips in his first year who were useless at the position. But now he's actually got, you know, competitive, you know, guys in there with him. He's actually got good backup. So he's allowed to go out and be able to do the job that we all know he can. But as a run blocker, as a guy who absorbs a lot of the pressure in there and does a lot of the dirty work, he's been very good for us since he got here last year. I mean, the amount of snaps the guy plays as a nose tackle, they don't play that many. You know, these 320-pound nose tackle guys, you bring them in situationally, you bring them in, you know, and you try and keep them fresh, you try and keep the tank going. He's been playing like 70, 80% of snaps a lot of weeks. Nose tackles just don't play that. Proper ones like him who are really big, beefy boys, and he still goes in there, he plays his heart out, he makes plays, and just because he doesn't get on the stat sheet, people ignore it. And then when a game like this comes out, I'm going, oh, it's a Malene McNeil's breakout game. It's not. He's, he is a big part of this defense, and he has been a big part of this budding defense going forward. You need guys like him on there. It is nice when he has these games. I said in my overall eval of him, you won't hear about him on the stat sheet, and you won't give him the plaudits very often. But when you do, you'll really notice him. And, you know, that's how it's come to pass, really. But he is so impressive. I said he's going to be as good, if not better, than Kenny Clark by the time he gets his professional deal. I don't see anything to disprove me today. He will be like the Green Bay nose tackle. He will be that all-conquering, all-dominating guy on there who can stuff the run, and he's got pass rush upside as well. And I'm I'm delighted for him, but I'll just be like, he's a good player, and he's been a good player in a very tough situation. So don't just look at this game and go, it's his breakout. He's developing very nicely, and he's going to be great for us going forward. He's exactly what we need on this line to complement the guys on the edge. It takes up so much pressure in the middle. I'm, I'm very happy for him. A good point as well in the chat by Nigel Williamson, which is one that we haven't made very much this year. Isaiah Bugs had his first positively graded game since week one against Philadelphia. He also had a really good game on the interior, aided by, by Aleem having a good game beside him. But he came in, 49 snaps. He now has more than double his um, snaps in a single season he's ever had before. And he's come in and he's done fairly well the last couple of weeks. This has been his best game of the season. He didn't give up much on the ground. You you know, if you have a weakness in that interior offensive line, Saquon's going to find it. And Bugs was not a weak point in that defense. So that was a really good thing for him too. Um just hats off to the entire both sets of offensive lines. I do want to give a shout out to the backup guard Dan Skipper. Now he has a pass blocking grade of naught, which I did not expect and did not see. Um, I'm not sure why because we didn't give up any sacks. But Skipper came in. I did not hear his name called at all as someone who gave up anything. 
in this game. So I'm surprised to see him go down there as with a bad grade. Evan Brown did fine before he went out, but he only had 14 snaps. A word on Skipper and look, he's doing well situationally when we need him, you know. And that's a compliment to him. You know, he's coming in, he's doing what we need of him. Me, I still can't help but feel that we need a guard in the draft. Long-term replacement. I don't think he's the long-term guy here going forward. I would like to get a bit of a run-blocking monster in to go at that right guard position. But for right now, what we need, you know, you've got to give him his props. He's doing really well. Um, But this team needs to carry on evolving. We need to carry on getting better at this sort of stuff. So... Just because he's doing well now doesn't mean we should not be looking at alternatives going forward as well. Plus, this offensive line is going to cost us a load of money going forward. So we need to start refreshing some of the rookie deals on it as well. But no, well played to everyone in the trenches, like you said. The offense killed them, ran the ball. I mean, who's the nose tackle? Dexter Lawrence. Did you hear Dexter Lawrence's name mentioned all game? All I heard all week, Dexter Lawrence is a monster. He rips teams up on his own. And man, you know, he's a one-man wrecking machine who's going to kill you all. I kind of felt like I didn't really hear his name there, but it's because we ran the ball so well and we were really good at it. You negate him, you negate Kayvon. Kayvon's always been rubbish as a run blocker. No more so than when Oregon needed him most in his last year of college. And he was nowhere to be seen. It was always my big knock on him, as well as that he's only got one pass rush move. That's why I didn't really want to draft him. Um, but you in, you know, you know, implement the wrong game. You take away the few weapons they've got on the defensive line. And our offensive line did it perfectly. And vice versa, the defensive line just crumbled, crumbled their wrong game. So big props to every single one of them. Yeah, so... Dexter Lawrence, I really saw him show up in this game, but it didn't it didn't result in any sacks. So I think it was the second play of the game. He pushed an offensive lineman into Goff. Now, Goff spun out of it and managed to throw the ball away. But there were several, the only pressure, so Goff had to escape pressure several times. The only pressure that was ever gotten in this game was through Dexter Lawrence. He just didn't get home. And how many times have we said that about our guys? And when they don't get home, it's okay. Well, the pressure was good. But actually, if the pressure doesn't get home, sometimes that could be bad. Because then you force them out of the pocket and some throwing lanes open up that you didn't have before when you were having to go over the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I thought Dexter Lawrence had a good game. But... To put it in perspective, he had a 91 PFF grade coming into this game, and he had a 78 PFF grade in this game. So he had a good game. He had a very good graded game, but it was well below his year's average. PFF is bollocks. Excuse my language. Well, you know, they did nothing. Absolutely. You know, he can grade individually as well as he wants, but he is a linchpin on that defense. We should be standing up in these big games and winning it for them. And he was a non-factor. Oh, he pushed one guy back into... Well, they don't do no. Hutch. Hutch was a factor in this game. He got the pick that turned this game. McNeil. He was an impact. He was a guy who got home and made plays. He did what he needed to. You know, that New York D-line should be embarrassed with itself. But... But at the same time, that's what I've been wanting from the Lions offensive line all year. I would trust this group to go up against any defensive line in this league and kick their ass. And, you know, this is a good defensive line and they kick their ass. And I am so happy to see it. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't know whether you had much to say about the personnel change, but 
we ran 11 personnel almost more than anyone in the league coming into this game. Like, we basically didn't do anything else. And then to completely shift with this game, I don't know whether it was matchup specific. I, I don't think it was because I think they want to feature Kabinda and you don't put him in as the running back on his own. So I think we can see 21 personnel this point onwards. And the EPA per play just through the roof, like, it just clicks with him. Thing is, we're too predictable when we only have one running back in because we kind of know our running back skill sets. So it's you know you're kind of giving away almost what you're doing before, and teams have said as much. You know, if you got Jamal in, you're likely running the football because he ain't a pass catcher. You got DeAndre in, most often than not, they're going to pass him the ball, or you're at least going to be prepared for that. When you start using the two back, three back sets and throwing them in there, it throws you out of proportion. You know, they targeted Kabinda twice and he dropped them, but then the team's like, huh, so if they got the fullback in, you know, we may commit and sell out against the run, and then that fullback's going to get in behind us and make yards, especially a team like New York, whose linebackers are garbage. Amaroff feasted off them all day, but when you've got Jackson back there, when you've got Williams back there, when you've got Kabinda in there, you're like, oh, geez, what the hell are they going to do against us here? You're like, this looks heavy set, looks like they're going to run the ball on us, but They've got guys back there who can catch the football. So are they going to try something different with us? And we've seen that on the goal line in recent last week. You know, we saw that we were at the one, two yard line. We were throwing the ball into the end zone. This week, we went back to the traditional rushing the ball. But that's because they they understood the threat that we posed. They thought, oh, I'm gone. They ain't just a run heavy team. We've got to run it all the time. They might actually throw the ball on us as well. So it puts the defense in all sorts of a quandary when you start bringing in these different schemes. And again, I think it's the coaching staff evolving. I think they they maybe have been a bit too conservative when it comes to some of these aspects and playing it, you know, changing it up a little bit. It works. Mm. You know, we're going to have to change it up for sure against the, I mean, against the Bills, I think, I don't know what you're talking about the Bills today, but you know, we are going to have to lean more on the run game because the way to beat them is keep them off the field. So to do that, you got to bleed the clock down. So I think you will see maybe a bit more of a return to what we were doing before. I'd like to see what they were doing this week. But yeah, I think it's just the coaching staff evolving really in the end though. And talking about the, the coaching staff, we talked about it being a complete game performance-wise on offense and defense, but I think it will go overlooked how much the coaching staff had a, a a point for that. I think in terms of how the game was called on offense and defense from a coaching, from a coordinator perspective, Ben Johnson, start of the second half, didn't go in the tank, didn't go defensive. Even when we were up in this game, it was put the foot on the throat mentality, the defense. It kept getting pressure. It kept <coughs> keeping them off balance. We saw pressures coming up the middle, down the side. We saw linebackers blitzing, not blitzing, dropping into coverage. D linemen dropping into coverage. We saw um, changes on the back end with not being always in cover two or cover one, but, you know, trying to disguise things. And I just think it was an evolution on both sides of the ball for both coordinators. I'm not saying that it is anything more than one well-called game. They've got to back it up consistently. But this was the first sign I've seen that they get it. And to be honest, I, I've seen the evolution over the three win process. Like I said, I'm seeing the teams win in different ways here. You know, you hold on to a narrow victory versus the Packers. You come from quite far behind against the Bears. And then you take a commanding lead in a game and you hold on to it pretty convincingly. These are all different ways to win games. And all of it comes down 
to coaching, the way you coach the game, the way you go for it. You know, against Chicago, we didn't panic that we were so far behind. Yes, we got the pick six, but that was as a result of the defence staying aggressive. You know, we could have decided against Chicago to go into our shells a bit, try stop the long completions, try and, you know, stop them that way. But we thought, no, we'll take a risk. We'll see if they can throw on us. We'll be aggressive as hell. And that resulted in a pick six, which changed the games for us. And that's the coaching mentality. Realising how to be in games at certain points is a big thing. So I'm seeing it more and more. And they're going to need their wits in the next game because the next game is going to be a real test of them. But this now is the team that we expect, we've maybe expected to have seen by now. It may have come a little late, but this is a Dan Campbell team. You know, Dan Campbell wants his team to be the type that when an opposing player takes the field against us, they're going to be like, oh, geez, I'm going to get my ass kicked today. Win or lose. And they're going to be like, Jesus. Yeah, that's what you want players to feel on the opposing side. Like, <laughs> I'm in for a fight here. And that's the sort of mentality you want to instill. And then when they do start getting their ass kicked, it's can, can, they, can they withstand it? The New York Giants showed they didn't have the mentality to hang with us. And that's how we'll beat a lot of teams going forward. And that's how Dan Campbell wants to beat teams, beat them into submission and be ruthless. And for, for once, for the very first time, we've seen it with all this team of young players. So can we sustain it going forward? Hopefully. Obviously, there's going to be more setbacks in the road yet. Everything ain't just going to go perfect right away. We're probably going to have games this season where <laughs> we come on on a Monday, not dressed up and glitzed up for a victory Monday. And we're like, geez, what the hell happened there? But it's all part of the process of building your team young. There are going to be more downs than ups, but when the ups come, they're going to be much better than all the crap you have to deal with. But overall, I'm feeling very confident where this team is going. And I think, to be honest, I'll give a hot take here. I think the Buffalo Bills would rather play the Kansas City Chiefs than us this week because they have everything to lose in this one. And again, we have nothing. When you're coming up against a team like the Chiefs, you play them, you'll probably play to the very best of your ability. And even if you lose, you go, right, fair enough. We lost against a better team on our day. When they come into Ford Field, they're getting their ass kicked by us. And the question is asked, can you stand up and overcome this? Yeah, there could be a fight they don't want to be in. They don't want none of this. I don't think... I think they would rather face anybody but us right now. A competent young Detroit team will take everybody to the wire. And I think we will this week. I ain't saying we're going to win. No, 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 no. no. I ain't getting fallen to that trap. But I don't think the Bills will want to play us this week. So Pat Mann has a comment saying it's a, a long time since we've had someone like Jamal this year. Stafford had to find all ways and tricks to score in the red zone. Just giving the ball to Jamal was not an option, not a knock on Stafford. He just never had a great running game to back him up. And I I see his point. You know, followed into just LA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's not had a running back go over 60 yards this year. I it's think it's that, it's that, that stat or it's been one it, performance well, where right. a running back's gone over 60 yards, I think. I think he's like 64. He's he's Cooper Cup or bust, and now they're both injured. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I agree. Jamal is, is clutch, and he has played himself into a new contract. I'm going to say that right now. You know, you want players on your football team who care. Dan Campbell himself said he ain't just a leader on the field. He's a leader off it in the locker room. He is the epitome of what new Detroit is. There are standards, and if you don't meet them, they are not good enough. And he will chew your ass off until you get it right and you start winning games. 
But the great part about what he's doing is he's now leading by example. He ain't just saying all this stuff and then taking a backseat while expecting everyone else to do the work. He's gone, you know what? I'm going to put this team on my back and I'm going to push us forward. And we need more veterans like him on this team. You don't let them walk because guys like him have been so few and far. How many times over the years have we bitched about veterans coming here to pick up a paycheck who cannot be arsed? It is so rare to get someone like him on this team. If he carries on playing like he is and carries on contributing, you give him a nice contract next year as well. You don't try and lowball him and keep him here. You give him what he's worth. You, I mean, oh. you heard what he said in Hard Knocks, or even before that. See, that he Hard Knocks disrespected thing. at the Packers because they didn't offer him a deal which he reflected no. his. He felt reflected his worth, and he liked coming here because it felt like we valued him. No, and you know what? We go back to Hard Knocks. When he made that speech on Hard Knocks, and I remember, and I stick by all the takes I make on here. I think the first thing I said when you mentioned was it when you mentioned about it, and you were talking about it. First thing I said was, "I don't care." I really don't care because show me, I've show heard, me, don't tell me. Yeah. I've heard the rah rah speeches so many times now, and despite how emotional it was and how much I wanted to jump on the bandwagon and be like, "Yeah, come on, let's do it." I'm like, I've seen this too many times. I need you to go out there and show me that you know you're, you're going to give me bang for my buck. I'm going to listen. I'm going to invest in you, and you're going to return on me. Jamal has gone out and done that. So that speech on Hard Knocks now means so much more in context when you see how well he has played. And like I say, I I will stand by my comments. I didn't care about that speech when he made it because I had not seen this. Now I've seen this, how much he is grinding for this team, how well he is doing for this team. That suddenly means something now. So the next time a rah-rah speech comes out of Jamal Williams' mouth and he's telling us to invest in this team and where we're going, etc., I'm going to listen and I'm going to invest in him because I believe him. There's too many years over the times I've listened to players who I just don't believe in with this team. So Brad Holmes' first priority in offseason is to give this guy a contract that reflects his value to this team. I don't care whether it's a little bit more for a running back that you expect. You're paying for the leadership as well as the ability on the pitch. And I don't care if you like, you've got to pay for ability. You have to pay for leadership in this team, especially where we're at now. It's a very critical juncture with so many young guys in here. It's vital you have as much leadership where these players will follow him. The leader in this team, in terms of pay, is meant to be Michael Brockers, who provides nothing on the field. Give Williams the Brockers money. Sorted. Done. Couple of questions. I wouldn't give him 10 million. I'd, I'd probably be talking like six, seven million here. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. I don't I, mean. Not, not I just given, mean a, a portion of it. So, but yeah, we're, I, I, think, saving... I think his deal is going to be about two years, ten million. He's on two years, eight at the moment. Two years, ten. Two years, eleven will kind of represent an uptick for him, a place and where I he likes playing it as well. Yeah. I'd, I'd say, look, we'll give you a good base, solid deal which reflects your value, and if you want to earn some more money, we'll stick some incentives on for you as well. But he is a guy who has earned a contract, and for me. It, the, as as more as the weeks go on, this is becoming a bigger and bigger deal for me now. I think the whole reason we sell Detroit to players is that you come here, we give you an opportunity when other teams would not, and if you take that opportunity, you get your first team spot. You know, it, it's quid pro quo. Like you say, we live in a meritocracy. The only trouble is you then have to, you undermine it all if you let these players leave. 
because players will think, well, I can go in there, work my ass off and do that, but they ain't going to pay me. So you have to follow through and pay them so that then veteran players, even youngsters know that if they bust their balls for this team and perform on the pitch, that the team will show them that they believe in them and give them the pay that they deserve. So for me, yeah. it's becoming a very big issue in terms of culture that you've got to get Jamal re-signed here to show everyone and lead by example. Otherwise, you will not get players to buy in the message. You can come here, create a career and get adequately compensated for it because, you know, quid pro quo with it all. Yeah, I mean, it's what they did with Charles Harris last year. Yeah. I want to see them do this. Uh, yeah, and that was the right move. Despite the fact he's been injured and he's not, you know, we, we've not had the value so far, it was still the right move. Because he epitomised what we wanted from players coming from through players who cared, and yeah. it's just unlucky that he's been injured and that he's had inconsistency in form. But that shouldn't put you off doing it with Jamal as well. I'm not saying we're getting into the playoffs at all, but I'm just saying I've said consistently. I think eight and nine gets in at four and six. We need four more wins from the last eight games. If Harris can come back fit. If other people can come back fit that we've seen be out, if Josh Reynolds is back, if Pascal is out, is back, and in those last couple of games, that last stretch that is a bit iffy for us, Packers away to finish in Week 18. We get all those guys back. If Harris has a big game, no one blinks an eyelid. So there is time for these guys to still make their impact on the season. I mean, I can see a circumstance where we are playing the Packers in Week 18 for the seventh seed. Like, I don't think it's likely right now. I think we'll still miss. But I can see that being a possibility. And with all the guys that we've got on IR who are not out for the season, they're just a bit banged up. They're all going to come back, give them a couple of weeks to acclimatize. They can still make their mark. Got a few questions from the chats here before we sign off because we've been going a little while. Just going to quick fire them to you and and then we'll get out of dodge. Uh, John Ball says, will they use Swift more Thursday? No, and they shouldn't. Debt Fan Man says, thoughts on Rodrigo versus Barnes moving forward. I'm assuming, and this is relative to someone else's comment in the Twitch chat, but Barnes, his play has improved and Rodrigo from his early really good start, which was unexpected, um, has regressed a little bit. Barnes is probably now playing better than Rodrigo is. Do you think that that is going to shift the balance for them, or do you think Rodrigo is still the starter at the minute? I think we've got two very talented young linebackers who we should play regardless. I think let's not get... I mean, Malcolm Rodriguez is a sixth-round pick. He is going to have pitfalls in his career. <laughs> it was never going to be smooth sailing all the way to the stop to be a reliable starter who has no issues in his career. So you've got to take the rough with the smooth with him. And, you know, he's had injuries. You know, injuries affecting the way he's playing. I just, I like having good young players on my team. With Derek Barnes, when they took him out of the team, I said, this could be a good thing. Everyone's going, oh, he's done, he's finished, he's a bust, etc. Sometimes you've just got to take a rookie out the limelight. You've just got to redo them up a little bit. You've got to just train them a little more. Sometimes, I think Barnes was pushed in maybe too early. And I think we suffered because of that. But you've seen Barnes. He's come back. He's progressively getting better. Like you've said, he's making plays. This is a whole part of the rookie thing. Sometimes I'll play bad. Sometimes I'll play good. But you're starting to see the good with Barnes down. It'll be the same with Rodrigo. I think he will have parts where you start to doubt it. Was the hype too much? No, the hype wasn't too much. You know, we started the hype as soon as we drafted him. 
you know, because I can see what he could become as a player. He's got all the attributes. He needs to be a good player. But at the same time, he's got a lot to learn, a hell of a lot to learn. And he has the size issues to overcome. And he has, you know, the play speed issues to overcome and stuff like that. But he will be fine. Malcolm will be fine. I'm just, I'm quite excited for these two. When they are both done developing, I think we're going to have a pair of stud linebackers on our hand. I'm looking forward to them two being together for a long time to come yet. So in the short term, I don't matter who it is. I'm just glad that Barnes is on a rebound because people were starting to worry. But with Rodrigo, I'm not worried at all. Mm. Um, okay, I think there's two more. First one is a draft question. It's a thought experiment. Assume that the Lions just have a really bad year from here on out. They have their own pick at six and the Rams pick is number five. Stroud, Carter, Anderson, and Young all go top four. You're picking five and six back-to-back. Who would you like to go with? Well, That's a horrible Carter, question. Anderson, and Young. The I'm top two QBs and the top two defensive linemen have all gone. Mm. So See, I'd go, I'd I go Miles Murphy I'm... and Joey Porter. That's who I'd go with. It's such a... A naff thing though, because a lot of the guys I like are later round one guys. Yeah, me I mean, too. like the two the two guys I really I can't stretch to Quentin Johnson at five. No, I can't. I love him. I love him to death, but I can't stretch to five. I love Devin Witherspoon. I can't stretch to five. I can do it later in the first round, but. I mean, at that point, I'd, I'd take Mars Murphy. I'm, I'm not going near Breezy because he's got the ACL injury history, and I don't think he's been that good this year. I might be in an, I might be on an island of one, but I watch a lot of college football, and I ain't impressed. Outside of that, um, I mean, cornerback's the big need, really. Cornerback's a big need. Um, linebacker's a big need. There ain't a linebacker at the top of the draft really this year. Trenton Simpson, that's too far to stretch for him again. Um, I mean, wide receiver you need, but again, not loads in the top 10 conversation, really. And so, I'm not going quarterback if those no. two are gone. I'm, I'm drafting KJ Jefferson every day of the week. So that that's a very tough one. I would, I would at least like to trade one of them for mm-hmm. more picks. I think that would be my answer there. And then outside of that, I'd, I'd take Miles Murphy. Um, oh, although I say that, Breezy is more of a tackle. He plays more on the interior a bit more. And I'm not really sure I want another edge rusher. I'd... It's very complicated. Yeah. The guys yeah, I like at the minute, I'm, I'm, I'm not preparing for picks five and six right now, you know, no. doing mid-draft stuff. But there would be a D-lineman in there and there would possibly be a corner. If, if I wasn't going to get another pick till late on it, I would stretch. I would stretch for Devon with a spoon. I would do it. He's the best man coverage corner in this draft. By far, Lions need a man coverage corner. I would just go all in on him. All right. Last question from Jamie Clark as well. He says, how many of the following teams finish with a worse record than the Rams? So basically, where do you think the Rams pick is going to be? So the teams that are in this or mix are Panthers, Bears, Texans, Raiders, Jags, Broncos. So for me... I think the Rams finish under the Panthers, the Bears, the Raiders, the, and the Jags. And I think above them will be the Texans and Broncos. I think the Broncos are 
awful. And the Texans aren't awful, but just don't have the quality. I quite like the Texans as a team. So you're but... going off pick a three. Three. The Texans will pick first overall. After that, I would put... Well, I mean, the Bears might be about to put Justin Fields on season-ending IR. If that happens, they're finished. Oh, yeah. They're absolutely, absolutely finished. Definitely. But, screw the Bears. I don't want them to get a good draft pick. I want them to win a few more and get to five or six because I want those good D-linemen gone. You know, six is no good to them because the quarterbacks will be gone. They don't need a quarterback, apparently, because they've got God there already. They need D-linemen, and they need them, and they need Skoronsky. If... You know, if if Anderson, Carter, and Skaronsky can be gone by the time the Bears pick, I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> because they will draft one of them three, absolutely, with a top pick. But I'm saying Texans finish above the Rams. Uh, sorry, Texans will be picking one. I think the Panthers will be there. I think the Bears might be there. Raiders, Jags, and Broncos uh, won't be nowhere near. I see more wins in them. So I think the Rams pick, I would think to be four or five for me personally. All right. I think that's all the questions. If you want more college stuff, I urge you to join us for our double header on Wednesday. College football podcast, probably 6 p.m. UK. We'll have to do it that sort of early time if you can, Ant. Um, 1 p.m. Eastern, that is. And then we'll have... I'm working till 6. So... 6, Okay. Well, whenever you can, we'll have to go back to back. It's going to be a late night on Wednesday, folks. But preview show for Thanksgiving follows the College Football Podcast on Wednesday. A lot we got through today, but thanks to everyone on the chat for contributing all those questions and really good stuff. Um, yeah, so College Show, Week 12 in review, Week 13 preview, Rivals Week is going to be really fun. And the Bills, can the Lions win that game? I don't know. Practice report is out. Um, it's only estimated, obviously, because no practice happened today for anyone. But the Lions estimate that no practice was had for Evan Brown, Charles Harris, Jeff Akuda, Josh Pascal, Frank Ragnow, Josh Reynolds, and limited Chark, full practice Rodriguez and Swift. They also add Jonah Jackson, no practice with illness, apparently estimated. We don't know really anything about these guys, but that's what I think happened. More on that on Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us on Rural of the Lions we UK. Oh. Any given Thursday. <laughs> okay. They've lost three games. We're a team in form. We're at home. I'm not saying we can, but there's always a way. And this Bills team have lost three times, so three teams figured out the way to do it, including the Jets. You mad sucker. Roar of the Lions UK, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook group for the fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK and One Pride Worldwide. That's run by Ryan Farden, who went to the game in New Jersey on Sunday, along with our other Ryan, Ryan McCluskey. They brought the British luck to the Eastern Shore to take the dub. RoarTheLinesUK.com is where you find our writer Ash and his preview articles for these games. Please do go and check them out. Leave some comments below on this video. Rate, review, subscribe, five stars, all that good stuff. Much appreciated. Otherwise, my thanks to Ant. It's going to be a long week for us, man, but it's a good start. Lions 3-0 and in the last three weeks. We've only got a month left of this, and then it's back to off-season purgatory again. So There we go. Two, month two, month, two, months. two months. Two months. Eight games. Eight games to go. Wait, Let's go, Lions. What, 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 about, what, what about the wild card? Let's go Lions, one pride. One pride.